Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Department of Transportation's Chief Information Officer. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Let me start with some basics because you are a new CIO to the federal government. And I always like to start with some background to discuss your background. How did you become the Transportation Department CIO? So, yeah, relatively new. I've been here now about five months. I recently went over the magic 100-day mark for CIOs. Everyone knows it's a special marking point when you hit your first 100 days. So I have come from the private sector. This is my first time in government. And... Really, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s, so I you know, started out with computers back in the day when they were still 8-inch floppies and green screens. and So I've been around computers my whole life. I was in the Marine Corps right out of high school and for four years then worked on what we now would consider very archaic computer systems, but that's where I got my start. And really, after college, then got into IT, formally first working for HP in Colorado and and was there during the mergers with Compaq and Digital Corp when when they bought them and so I've just been around IT for over, you know, 30 plus years and really have come up on the operational side of IT, not the management side. So I've lived in the trenches so to speak with the engineers. I've worked in the data centers, I've worked on networks, I've worked on help desks, I've I've managed all that and I'm I would guess I would call a really a technical CIO. I, I understand the real nuts and bolts of IT, and, and, I, and I like that, having grown up in that world. I think it helps me hopefully be a better leader, better manager of systems. I had an interesting conversation a month or two ago with some other children of the 80s. I'll join you in that badge. And, and the question I said, what was your first computer you got? I have to ask you the same question. It was the Commodore yes, 64. Yes, of course it was. <laughs> of course. You hooked it to your television set, and the keyboard was built in, and it was that's all you had. That's there, right. There you go. Excellent. So now you are now the fourth person that I've had this conversation from the 80s. The first computer was a Commodore 64. Excellent. You talk about your time in the Marine Corps. Beyond that, you spent your entire career in the private sector. Uh, so what made you come back, if you will, to the federal government? Well, it was the same thing that drew me to the service to begin with. It's, it's out of service to the country. Uh, I feel like we're sort of at a tipping point right now, and there's an opportunity for change, real change in government. I, am, I would consider myself you know, deeply patriotic. I love this country. And it, it was just the right alignment and right timing in my life to bring my skill set to bear on, on government, right? I've been active in a sense, and I follow what's going on in the world, and I've been hearing for 10, 15, 20 years how, you know, behind government is in terms of technology and how they are always trying to modernize government systems. And, and, you know, it just was the right time in my life where I said, you know what, I have a skill set. I I think I'm pretty good at what this, and maybe I can bring it to bear on the problems of the country and and help. So I'm, I'm really just here to try to serve again. Did you apply? Did you see the opening for transportation CIO and apply, or did someone recruit you? Talk a little bit about how you ended up at transportation, because if I remember looking at your background, it's not like you came from a transportation sector type company, unless if I misread that. No, it was not a transportation-related job that brought me here. It's actually a relationship with the former CIO, Vicki Hildebrand. She and I were classmates at Columbia, and... So we've remained close over the years. When she and I finished Columbia, she went back to HP, and 
and I was at Gartner, and yeah, we just stayed in touch, and you know, she took the role initially when the secretary started here, and she had to step down, I think, you know, for, for personal reasons, and it just made great sense for me to sort of backfill her because we both were private sector folks. We both really have the same vision for modernization of IT. And so, yeah, I kind of got in the door that way. What has surprised you about coming to government? You probably had some previous knowledge from your time in the Marines, but if you haven't been a contractor before and you haven't worked in government before, walking that door and, and seeing what's happening is, is probably, there's probably some eye-opening happening. Sure, sure. Well, I think that you know, the time in the Marine Corps in the, in the late 80s is so far past, honestly, it's not really relevant today. And I have never worked as a contractor or for any government agency in the last 25 years. Honestly, the most surprising thing I've encountered since beginning here is dispelling my own misconception and preconceived notion of the average federal employee, right? So I come from the Midwest, and I'm in flyover country, and and everyone likes to malign your average federal employee. Everyone wants to complain about government, and it's wasteful. And it's and honestly, out there in middle America, where we're not close to D.C., everyone has a pretty negative assumption of your average federal employee. And I was truly shocked to get here and find out that the talent level of these federal employees is on par with anything in the private sector. It truly is. Um, I've worked with really, really great, talented people throughout my career at places like IBM and Gartner and HP and other places. And I can say, honestly, for the most part, anyone here in government can hold their own against anyone in the private sector when it comes to skill, talent, passion, energy. They, they really are unfairly, I think, sort of characterized or mischaracterized in the minds of average Americans. So I love the people that I've met since coming here. I love the people I work with. I think I've no, again, no offense to my other federal CIOs around town, but I believe I've got the best team and the best talent in D.C. I'm just thrilled. I hear that often from new people who come to government. They always kind of go back to the workforce, and it's surprising, but it's not, because I think, generally speaking, when you talk about the government, it's this big monolithic thing that, that people get frustrated with, and there's probably good reason at times. So it's nice to hear that that it kind of gave you kind of a new new. Uh, viewpoint of, of the people and the, and the processes that happen. What about acronyms? How are you with acronyms? Are you, you have a book? Are you, have you been spending time at learning your acronyms? I mean, do you know your FARs, your IDIQs, your MACs, your GWACs? I am getting up to speed, yes. <laughs> Has that been the best part so far, though, really? I mean, Well, in IT, we're used to acronyms, right? Exactly. We're, we're known for having a lot of IT-based acronyms, so I was very familiar with that. But the government certainly has its fair share. So, very early on with my direct team, as much as possible, I sort of asked for this grace period, if you will, and I asked everyone in the room to please don't use pronouns and don't use acronyms. So no we, they, us, them. I need to know who you're talking about, which person or which group. And then also, same thing, like I said, with the FARs and the IDIQs and the BPAs. And 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 so it took me a good 90 to 100 days now. I've got most of them down, but... <laughs> There are still moments when I'll interrupt a, a meeting and say, sorry, you got to give me the meaning of that acronym. Yeah. That, that's why when you started off mentioning you got through your first 100 days, that's the first thing that got to me is that you were in a meeting and someone said an acronym and all of a sudden the light went off and you said, oh, I know what that means. And then it kind of scares you a little bit. That's right. Because all of a sudden you're too far in. 
that's an interesting idea of going asking your team to, to kind of slow down and, and kind of uh, be more specific. What are some of the other steps you've taken to kind of understand transportation's mission, to understand what the transportation department does? Because, again, wide-ranging, you've got the FAA, you have so many different pieces and parts to it. In my first 30 days or so, I asked for meetings with all of the modal administrators, right? So to your point, we have FAA and FRA and FTA and FHWA, and there are nine separate operating modes within DOT. And I was really unfamiliar with their mission. You know, I'd heard of pipelines and hazardous materials before, but I didn't really know what their mission was. And and I'd heard of the Maritime Administration and the St. Lawrence Seaways, these things, but I never really knew. So I met with all of the top modal administrators, asked, you know, for time with them, and they uh, very generously gave me time and explained the mission of their department. And then I asked sort of, so give me a quick overview of your IT capability as it exists today in your mode. And just really have been, even up to now, in listening mode. I, I need to listen. I need to learn the mission. And, and so I can best figure out how to serve their mission. You know, IT has come a long way over the years, right? We used to be truly a back office function, if you will. That was a name that had been given to us. If you ask any CFO of the world, they still think IT is just a line item on the budget and a, a back office function. But we've really evolved a lot over the years. Now the CIO has a seat at the table. Everyone understands that technology drives innovation. It drives the mission. You don't do anything today in your mission that doesn't touch technology. And so we've moved from the back office to the, to the seat at the table, so to speak. And, but I still believe the mission of IT is service-based. We serve the mission of the Department of Transportation. We serve the mission of MARAD and, and highways and everyone else. Uh, we are there to, to help them do what they do, which is, again, increase public safety, save lives, keep planes in the air. You know. And so that's really been exciting about the job is, is understanding the mission really is huge. We here at the department have an incredible mission, which is, increase public safety and and try to save lives of every American every day. That's really exciting. I want to take a quick break, but just before we do that, was there any one of the modals, anything that really surprised you, jumped out to you? Did you learn something that just has stuck with you this you know, over the last, you know, couple weeks that you're just like, wow, like you still can't believe whatever the mission is or whatever the area is that and then you have to how do you apply IT to it? Yeah, I can't really think of any modal specific thing that stands out, but I was mildly shocked to find out just the scope of, of the mission of all these modes. Uh, it's not, you know, just that they have one or two things. They, they each have hundreds of things that they do. And collectively here at DOT, we have over 3,500 IT systems currently in place that support those missions. So you, know, you can't just say that FAA does one thing, right? They they fly planes and let them land safely. They do so much more as it relates to air safety and and how they regulate and manage the airlines and and there's so many things they touch in our lives that probably my biggest surprise again is how without even realizing it before, everything we do every day is touched by transportation, whether it's your bike or in my case a motorcycle or a car or a plane or a boat. I mean you name it Transportation touches it, and it's all designed to, to help us move about freely in this country and to do so in a safe way. It's, it's a great point. 
Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into some of those 3,500 IT systems and tell us how you're going to modernize them. My guest today is Ryan Cody, the Department of Transportation's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. Now, Ryan, before break, we we're getting to know you a little bit, you're a little bit about your background. Let's jump into some of those 3,500 IT systems that you're going to hopefully modernize, fix, and improve upon. I know uh, you mentioned former DOT CIO Vicki Hildebrand. She was focusing on several IT modernization goals. How are you picking up from where she left off? Where, where are you heading next with IT modernization? We talked again about Vicki, her departure somewhat untimely. I think had things been differently, she would still be here. You know, she loved this mission, loved the job, was doing a fantastic job. And my goal is to carry on where she left off. Uh, I'm not doing anything radically different. She set out a fantastic vision and strategy for the department and, and modernization. And it really starts at the top with the secretary, who is very engaged and is a fantastic uh, supporter and executive sponsor of what Vicky had branded Destinations Digital, and we are continuing on with that mission of Destinations Digital. And it is a concerted effort to modernize and centralize IT here at DOT. So forever, since the beginning of time, I suppose, here at the department, every mode has had their own IT department. And so they have their own you know, project managers and their own dev ops folks and their own network and their own help desk. And as we know, it's wildly expensive and redundant and inefficient. So the Secretary's vision, and set out again by Vicky, is a, a central IT model, a federated model, shared services model, if you will. And so we are on year one now of a three-year plan to centralize all of IT. And when we're successful at the end of 2021 or so, the modal IT will all reside in the office of the CIO. So we will manage every system. We will manage the networks. We will manage all help desk, project management, and DevOps and everything. It will, it will fall under the CIO's purview as opposed to in the modes. Um, not only to increase efficiency and save money, but also to increase the security of the systems, modernize them. Uh, it's really, really hard to manage this many people in this many systems. It's even harder when you have nine CIOs in each mode doing their own mission on their own you know, strategy. So Vicky had, you may be familiar with the BHAGs, right? Vicky, Vicky had this thing called Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. She identified nine of them. And, and again, for the most part, they are staying the same. We are carrying on. And it is a cost savings model, a reduction of spend model. And it really, for us, focuses on three areas. And it's safety, infrastructure, and technology and innovation, which not coincidentally, is the same mission of the secretary and the department. Her focus is always on public safety, the infrastructure of the nation, and on technology and innovation. And so the nine BHAGs that Vicki laid out, which we've largely kept the same, have the same focus. Cybersecurity is, is top of mind for everyone today in Washington and, and will be for us. And so we really have three... On top of the nine BHAGs, I have three really big things that we need to do. And and first is the network, right? And it for me, it always comes back to the OSI model and layer one, and it's the hardware layer, right? And it's the network. We have to go out and get control of that. And we are 
well on our way to doing that. Vicki had kicked that off under under her tenure, and it continues where we are going out and securing the front door, if you will, of the network, right, locking down layer one. And then after that, we're going to look at the applications, right? We have to look at the 3,500 applications and rationalize that, figure out which, again, are redundant because we may have nine of the same systems in nine different modes. We'll eliminate eight. And then we'll figure out which ones simply can't be patched or can't be modernized. There are so many now today that are legacy systems. We have so much legacy debt that we just can't get them up to a place where they'll pass an audit, right, from a cybersecurity perspective, from uh, a FISMA audit or an IG audit. They just can't be patched. They're so old. And the amount of time and money and effort we'd have to throw at that to try to modernize it isn't worth it. We're better off replacing them with a modern system. So the applications are really going to fall into three buckets. Those that are good today, those that are not good that we can modernize and fix and get to a level of acceptance, and those that are simply unacceptable and we can't retain and we must either eliminate or replace with net new. Uh, And the first really big one we're taking on is with grants management and grants system. So I'm sure everyone's aware that you know, the agency is, is tasked with giving a lot of money out every year in grants. Well, again, through no fault of anyone other than it's the way things were always done, we have nine different ways of giving out grants here. Each mode does it differently. And we've identified over 60 different systems that are used today to give out all that grant money from the nine different modes. So the first one we're going after with a net new approach with a very agile sort of DevOps approach is a grants management system that will do all grants processing for all modes at DOT. And we've actually kicked it off. We have a pilot grant program now that's going to be put in by MARAD or Maritime Administration. And we hope by the end of the year to have proved that pilot works. And then in the next year and two and three, begin to transition all of the modes into this grants management system and eliminate those 60 or so odd systems and and have one grants management system for all of DOT. And that's only, you know, one function. There's there's a hundred more things like that that we need to do. You mentioned there are three things, network, apps, what was the third? Cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, okay. So cyber yeah. was the first Cyber. One. Okay. Let's maybe talk a little bit about that application modernization and rationalization because that's a, that's a big area that we've seen. OMB is really kind of pushing down that path. Can you talk maybe a little bit about your approach to application rationalization? The grants is a great example, but how are you looking at it from a more holistic perspective? For the office of the CIO here, things are changing, right? Because we're going to be taking on new things we've never had to do before. Because each mode had their own IT, had their own project management office, had their own app developers. We didn't have those people in CIO. We really were more of an oversight, you know, capacity. And now we're really getting into the business of IT. So we'll be standing up a a PMO, we'll be standing up a DevOps group, and the first step of of anything like this, of course, is an assessment, which we've already completed. That's how we have a count of these applications. We sort of think we know what we have, we know who owns what, we know what they do, and, and we've done a preliminary assessment on them as far as a security assessment where we think they are as it relates to to risk for the enterprise. And it's going to be a joint effort between ourselves, DOT, and and contractors that really manage almost 90% of all these systems today, working with them to figure out, again, where we prioritize them. That's always the hardest part, I think, of an application 
rationalization exercise is prioritizing which goes first and why. Is it a risk-based assessment? Is it a cost-based assessment? Is it a legacy debt, you know, maintenance assessment? And, and it's a balance often between all of those different equations. What we have to make sure we do here at Office of CIO is not impact the mission of the modes. And, and of course, in addition to all this modernization work we have, we have new work that comes along. We have net new things that we must do. You know, there's new regulations passed all the time and, and new expectations placed on modes, for instance, to, to get a new system out the door that, that, you know, for instance, there's a federal motor carrier system for a national registry of medical examiners. We have to get that system out the door. And so it's a mix of fixing the old and standing up the new and figuring out what goes at the front of the line. It's, it's, a, it's a huge pipeline of work. Have you guys set up kind of a governance team, an IT rationalization application rationalization team? Talk to me about the, the process a little bit of how that's going to work. We do have a team set up, a study group of sorts, and we have every mode in the building represented as part of that team. And everyone has a voice, right? Everyone has a seat at the table. And we talk about what the priorities of each mode is and then how that rolls up into the priorities of secretary and the priorities of the overall mission of the department. And number one, of course, is that we can't impact current uh, capability. And my focus, I think, primarily is on cybersecurity. We have to look at those systems that are the most vulnerable today, the high-value assets, right? We talk about HVAs in government. And we have to, we have to f- form some sort of criteria by which we measure, right, and ultimately come up with a list, of prioritization and that for us begins with HVAs and it begins with mission critical and then those that are most at risk from a cyber perspective and then it all rolls downhill from there. Have you calculated the technical debt you guys have in terms of by cost or by numbers? Have you quantified it in any way? Not yet. No, it's that's a really hard number to sort of realize. Uh, we have Again, a number we found with applications, we know what our ongoing support costs are to keep those applications running. We don't yet know what the future state looks like and what our, what our savings ultimately will be, and, but what it's going to cost us to get there. We, it's really hard to put a number on, on legacy debt unless you can just shut it off, which you can't do. Many times, no, you can't. Ryan, let's take a quick break and come back. We can maybe talk a little bit about change management because that's probably going to be one of your biggest uh, challenges. My guest is Ryan Cody the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I see a, a trend within CIOs when I talk to them, and they say, well, we're going to move all the back office, all the, if you will, commodity IT under the CIO, but the modals or the bureaus or the agencies are going to kind of keep their mission specific. Are you guys, is that a similar path you guys are going down, or are you, if you will, really bringing all IT under the headquarters CIO with maybe a few exceptions, like some, maybe some FAA-specific IT? Have you thought about, has that decision been made around that? Yes. Yet? With the exception of FAA, which is the largest organization here, obviously, by far, 
everything else here in the building is option number two. We are taking all the IT under the office of the CIO. It's not just commodity IT. It's all mission IT. It's all IT. And by um, experience and by you know past performance, we know the modes are just not great at IT, right? And they're and they're not supposed to be. Their their mission is different. The modal mission is different than the IT mission. And so we we know from years and years of of not perfect IT execution in the modes that they're just not great at it. And it's not just us saying that in the CIO's office or anyone else. It's it's everyone else saying that by virtue of these audits and the FISMA scores and the you know the IG audit. They go into the modes and they'll they'll assess these systems and they get scored. And so we know who has what scores and we know just by virtue of the numbers that they're not great at IT. So we really view this you know, initiative, if you will, Destinations Digital, the modernization, centralization of IT as a way of helping the modes become more laser-focused on their mission. If the, if the mode doesn't have to worry about IT, they can become more engaged with their stakeholders and execute on their mission, which is almost always public safety. You know, we will guarantee to them, as the CIO's office, we will give them the best IT they've ever had. Whether it's commodity or mission-based, we know we can do it better. It's what we do. It's what we've done our whole lives, right? It's what I've done for 30 years. It's what everyone here in IT's done their whole lives. And we know we can give them better network performance. We know that we can give them better mobile performance. We know we can give them more secure apps. We know we can guarantee uptime. It's just what we do. I don't have a clue how to run a highway administration, right? I think what they do is very important. They keep the roads, you know, graded and paved and safe. And and what they do is is very important. But just like I don't know highways mission, I believe I do know IT's mission, and we're going to be the best IT in government. That's our goal, nothing less than that. One of the things that comes to mind right off the bat is how to deal with the people side of it, because you do have uh, IT workers that have worked in a mode all their career, they've they built this system, they've cared and fed this system, and they if they hear that you're, quote-unquote, taking it away, that could really cause some anxiety and some stress. How are you kind of dealing with that change management? We're not really taking anything away. We're simply moving people from the mode today to the CIO's office. You know, all of these people, like you said, have, have spent careers here, they've built systems here, they, they maintain systems here. And the only thing really that's changing is the hat they'll wear. It, you know, it's like being traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox or, or something like that. It's, it's, still, it's still baseball. Sure, it's still baseball. It's still IT. It's still IT. They're just changing teams. <laughs> and in this case, they're just changing teams from a mode to the office of the CIO. We, you know, like I said before, we have a fantastic bunch of employees here, great talented people, that the job they have today will be the job they have tomorrow. It'll just be where they report up, you know, in the structure. We're moving people. We're not changing people. In some cases, again, we have to modernize systems. So if there are legacy systems that need replaced, we'll replace them. But those same people then will be tasked to manage and build and maintain the new systems. So it's, it's just a net move one for one. And, again, a management tactic, or, or if you will, or a management decision strategy to, to centralize it. So we can, again leverage economies of scale in the CIO's office, and so we can learn from one another, right? We have nine silos today of talented IT people who really don't learn from one another because they have separate missions, they have separate systems, right? Well, I know deeply embedded in these modes 
are some really talented people who have gifts to share with other modes and other IT folks. So we want to bring them all under one big tent and have them share what they know and share their gifts and talents across the entire enterprise. At the same time, what that also will create is this idea of the systems, hey, I don't need my own system because now I know you over at this other mode. And we have the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of our needs are roughly the same. We can maybe need to customize on that application rationalization only to that 20% that was really specific to my mode or 10% that's specific to my mode. But now that we're on the same team, it's kind of how you can march together down that same path versus, well, my mode's different than your mode and I don't want to... I don't want to share my system. That's part of what you're heading toward. Sure, that's right. Again, every modal-specific and system or mission-specific application we have today or or system we have today will will stay. If it's needed, it stays. It's similar to the cloud strategy, right, where we used to have to host these things in a data center, on a server, on iron. It sat there in the rack, and that's how it worked. Well, we've proven that we can virtualize them, right, through VMware or other uh, Hyper-V, other virtualization technology. We don't need a physical server anymore, and we don't need a data center because we can move them to the cloud. So it's sort of like that in that we can move everything to a different model. It doesn't change the nature of the system. It doesn't change the nature of the application. It just is a different way of doing things, and it'll be the same with this. It's just a different way of doing the same thing. Well, you bring up cloud. You bring up uh, another piece to your modernization effort. So let's go down that path. You said network modernization was big. Clouds fit into this. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what your goals are around for network modernization. Again, before my time here, under Vicky, kicked off a project called NARMS, which is a network assessment, rationalization, modernization system. And essentially, we had to go out and first discover the network, right? We trusted the modes. were doing a good job with their networks. And some were and some weren't so much. And some had a good idea of what they had, and others had kind of let shadow IT or rogue IT run a little wild. And and so we first had to go out and run an assessment and find every device we could find on the network. And not surprisingly, and this is not just here or government, private sector is the same problem, we found, you know, 20 30% higher number of devices than we thought we were going to find, what, what people had told us they had versus what they actually had. So which is great. You have to first find it in order to remedy it, fix it, patch it, repair it, replace it. So after doing that assessment, now, of course, have to pick a standard. We have to get modern. So we have a a Cisco-based solution. We would love to get as standard as we can be and as flat as we can be on the network. It, It just helps with everything from management to patch management, security. The flatter the network, the, the fewer different devices you have, the better when it comes to rolling out updates and, and locking it down and securing it. So we've completed that, and we are on our way now, again, to getting all of those network devices up to where they need to be from a firmware perspective and being secure and patched, replacing things that are out of warranty or out of date, and, and still fighting a little bit of the ballot battle of, of rogue IT or shadow IT, of things that are out of spec for us now, right? We have a standard that we've set that says, hey, if you're going to be on the network, you must have at least this minimum requirement of a device and a level of security or a level of encryption or a level of you name it. And in some cases, we still have not been able to remedy and replace all that because, again, some of these are mission critical that just you can't disrupt. And so we have to take a very careful measured approach to how we replace network equipment as we go. But again, I would say we're about 80% 
or, or 85% of the way to having that done. And once that's done, it, it, it helps us not only from a cybersecurity perspective, helps us from an audit perspective, helps us just be more safe and secure, but it's going to feed into a modern knock. We, we need to build our own modern knock here and be able to have good eyes on the network so we know we can you know, address outages or any other issues or, or security incidents. Right now, we don't have a great uh, a sense of that we know what's going on on the network, right? And in order to really do network well, you have to be proactive. You can't just be reactive. You can't just wait for the red light, right? Part of it is is knowing when things are coming and being able to have a highly adaptive network. So that, again, kicked off under Vicky. Great strategy. It's, it's nearly complete. It'll probably be complete before the end of the year and will bring us probably 10 years uh, from where we were in, in terms of legacy debt on the network to a really, truly modern network. And again, if you follow the OSA model sort of on how we're approaching this, that's where it all begins for us. Once we know the front door is locked, we know the network is locked down, we know we can manage it, we know kind of what's going on, and we, we stand up a knock capability, and we have a lot of dashboards where we now can see IDS, IPS events, and, and then now we can begin to, to monitor everything else that runs on that network. When you talk about network modernization, and I just want to maybe put a finer point on this because I think it's – are we talking about an in-house on-prem network? Are you talking about kind of the, the old hybrid where you have some things in the cloud and some things on-prem? No, this is, this is our national network. So this is every mode in, in transportation. It's thousands of locations across the country. So whether it's highways or railways or transit or pipelines – we have you know regional offices in every state and mobile inspectors on the roads all over. We have we have just thousands of endpoints and it's that entire physical network that we've had to go out and discover and lock down. And it's that physical endpoint that would connect back to a again, I'll just use cloud or data center or how Correct. Okay. Correct. <clears throat> and we've also done a good job now and have more work to do on a data center consolidation plan. We are getting out of the data center business, right? For the most part. We don't need 80 data centers in DOT. And I think we've gotten it down now to 20-some where we're still in data centers. And we continue to either consolidate around a few key data centers or get things out and move them to the cloud. And I know that there's a data center modernization, rationalization, federal sort of guideline and directive on this. And we are trying very hard to follow that and get us down to as few remaining data centers as possible, and then get everything else in the cloud. Where do you see the cloud fitting into this conversation? Do you see it as that infrastructure as a service, or or are you moving more towards the software as you do this application rationalization? No, the the key absolutely is, is to leverage the cloud for our future. We are currently using, I think 43 was the last number I saw, different cloud providers. And that's sort of a loose term, right? There's, there's obviously the big players of uh, Amazon and Microsoft and Google and, and the big, big cloud players. But we look at something like SaaS also as a cloud, right? So Salesforce is, is to us is cloud. And so we definitely, again, we are out of the hardware business. We don't want to own hardware anymore if we don't have to. Uh, the legacy debt and cost of maintaining that is, is too great. And it's just not an efficient model anymore. We are definitely going to leverage Microsoft and Amazon and Google and all the cloud players to to help us 
be more agile and, and have a greater availability and to not rely on, on data center hardware anymore. Ryan, let's take a quick break. My guest is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. I want to move on to another one of your priorities. You you talked about networks, you talked about apps, and then the third piece of this, the third leg to the stool, is cybersecurity. Because if you know what you have and you know what applications you have, you know it's legacy debt, then, as you said, you can secure that front door a little better. Give us an update on your cybersecurity efforts, your priorities, and, and maybe begin with some of the efforts around the continuous diagnostics and mitigation CDM program. Where we stand currently on cybersecurity is not a secret, right? Anyone can read the FATARA scores and uh, all the audits that I think are done every year here are public information, so everyone can see the audits. And we, like many federal agencies, I think struggle to be great at cyber. And it's not because of lack of effort or lack of knowledge or lack of will. Again, it's just really trying to pay off a lot of legacy debt. We have a lot of systems today that are simply mission-critical systems that will not pass an audit. And it might have been secure 20 years ago when it was built, but the threats were so different then than they are today that it just wasn't built for the modern threat. So we have a definite strategy on where we want to be in, in the future year or two when it comes to cyber. We would love to have an internal SOC capability where we're managing our own threats and and again, leverage partners in that, in that fight. One thing about cyber today is you can't possibly fight it alone, right? It's, it's such a persistent threat and an ever-changing threat that what it takes to be successful is a true team working together. And part of that is the CDM question you raised. And then there's other players, of course, here in town with DHS being the lead and, and guidelines from NIST and different places where we get and, and, and the Hill, right? The Hill gives us direction on where they want to focus our efforts. And, and so we truly think it's a team sport. Cybersecurity is a team sport. We need to play as a team. And, but we need to get better first internally just at DOT. We need to build a knock where we're managing and monitoring our network so we can watch traffic, watch data flow, so we can see the threat vectors and see the threat actors. We need to build our own modern SOC capability where, again, we have dashboards. We have a modern SIM where we're looking at everything from email to data to network traffic to see who's trying to get in from where and how and, and mitigate those threats and those risks. And then again, we partner with with things like CDM. And that for us really has been a pretty successful program. We have about 95% of our current systems that are tied into CDM in one way or another that are monitored by that. We're a big fan, right, and supporter of of that and are generally um, supportive of, of the basic model or idea of that, which is, again, we all need to share information. We need to share knowledge. And no one, much like breaking down the silos of our modes, we have to break down the silos here in federal government about, okay, who's attacking you? What do you see today? How's that coming in? And that CDM is one way where we share the threat data across all of government to mitigate the risk. You mentioned the need for either a new or at least a modernized NOC and and SOC. Any thoughts about using, if you will, Energy Department SOC or the Homeland Security Department or Justice Department SOC and not mm-hmm. as a way to 
take advantage of shared services and, and obviously get it up much more quickly? Well, we've looked at that. Uh, we currently use the FAA, actually, as our SOC. They have one. And while all of those, I'm sure, do a great job in their own right, I'm sort of just personally a big fan of local is better. So I believe in the closer you can get to your own you know, threat, the better you're going to be. So for, for us to turn over all of our data and all of our network and all of our you know, traffic to another SOC and ask them to protect it, to me, is just too big a leap to take. I'd rather be in charge. Sure, but you're going to pay them. So like you do, for instance, you, you have a, let's pick on Amazon, you, you, you store stuff in Amazon's cloud personally, you're, you're paying them as a service, or if you have a boat and the boat's at a dock and you pay the people at the dock, I mean, it's just a service. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to understand kind of the, the path because I think we've seen this from the Office of Management Budget, we've seen this from other agencies that really are trying to push for this idea of, hey, together we're better than by ourselves, mm-hmm. and, and this doesn't take away the fact you can share data back through CDM and through other sure. technologies. I'm just trying to maybe put a finer line around the local versus as a service. Right. Well, it's it's a great question. Again, I think it comes back to how much do you really want to roll up to one top level, and I think there's a limit to that. Me personally, you know, with the uh, 65 or 70,000 employees at DOT, I, I don't know the exact number, including FAA and everyone else. That's just a lot of bodies and a lot of devices and a lot of endpoints to manage. And and I think what we're seeing, the trend is, is at the department level, everyone should have a SOC, right? F- FDA has a SOC. You mentioned Energy has a SOC. Everyone has their own SOC for a reason. And that is they all believe that they're the best ones capable of managing their own threats. And I believe that to be true. I don't think that you can take it to the next level and, for instance, all of us just give all of our sock over to someone else and say, now you manage it. It's At some point, the threats, again, are so persistent and so granular and so um, never-ending that I need to have my own team in the building, on the floor, in the room, watching the dashboards 24-7, 365, to say, okay, of the... 70,000 employees we have and the hundreds of thousands of mobile devices and endpoints. Here's your threats, and here's where they're coming from, and here's how best to, to mitigate those threats. I think when you try to scale it up too large, it becomes too unmanageable. There's too much white noise, and you miss the true threats that are coming through. You have to get it down to a level where it's manageable. I think... Again, 30, 50, 70,000 employees is manageable. When you talk about millions of employees, I think it becomes unmanageable. Ryan, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So let me thank my guest, Ryan Cody, the Transportation Department's Chief Information Officer. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great to get to know you. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.